Welcome to the Kids Corner, where we explore sensory processing, development, and play with purpose as it pertains to eating, sleeping, playing, and growing. On this podcast, we will educate you on the lesser-known topics, give practical tips and tricks to help elevate your practice, and provide resources for families and caregivers. We are your hosts... I'm Bean, the co-founder of Reu and a recovering paraplegic. And I'm Nancy, a kinesiologist specializing in pediatrics, facilitating learning and development through movement and play therapies. And today we're going to be talking to Callie. Callie is the director of occupational therapy at Smile Therapy for Kids. She strives to enable children and families to participate in meaningful and essential daily occupations. She utilizes an evidence-based and family-centered approach to guide her therapeutic interventions, which are targeted towards enhancing functional independence and quality of life. She continues to work diligently to incorporate fun into her sessions while developing positive therapeutic relationships in an effort to discover new possibilities. She is a bit of a celebrity in the OT world, so we're really excited to have her with us. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, guys. It's so sweet of you. And so I think he wanted to know a little bit about my story. So I guess I'll start there. My passion for helping others all started way back in high school. This is where I was introduced to working with children with special needs. And actually, it was a volunteer position where I taught children with special needs swimming. And during this experience, I really felt like a sense of satisfaction in that I was able to help others reach their goals and in turn enhance their overall quality of life. So from here, I just knew I needed to figure out a way that I could do something similar in terms of a career. And so from there, I searched and searched and I found a program actually at Dalhousie University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And it was a program called Recreation Therapy, a Bachelor's of Science. And I finished that and from there I became a recreation therapist. And actually my first job as a recreation therapist was working at the hospital in a neuro rehab department, working with individuals who had traumatic brain injury. And it was there that I was working with an occupational therapist. And I just thought to myself, wow, there's so many different things that an OT can do to help people reach their goals, enhance their quality of life and all that. And so from there, I looked into what I needed to be an OT. I applied to school, went to school, and I'm now continuing following my dreams of working with children with special needs as an OT, helping them reach their limitless possibilities. That's awesome. Yeah. So what's your favorite part about being an OT? Hmm. I would say my favorite part is really seeing the smile on the kids and parents' faces when the children reach their goals or when the kids realize like, oh my gosh, like I can actually do this. For example, maybe they previously thought like, oh, like I can't roll. I can't crawl. I can't my head up to see the TV, things like that. And realizing that they can do these things and they can reach these goals, both from child and from a caregiver's perspective. It's just so nice to see that smile and that sense of satisfaction on their face. And that just makes me feel so good. And that's a feeling that will never get old. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. What is occupational therapy? Yeah, that's a good question that many people ask. (laughs) Occupational therapy is a profession, I would say, that involves therapeutic modalities that are targeted towards enhancing like one's ability to participate in their activities of daily living. So for example, I'll give an example, if a child has difficulty zipping up their zipper or buttoning up their jacket, that would be considered an activity of daily living and an OT would develop a therapy plan 
to target things like finger strengthening, finger coordination skills in order to improve this. Now, obviously, that's just like a small little like an example. We as OTs, we look over many things, whether it be fine motor skills, gross motor skills, sensory integration. And we'll get into all this. We talk in more detail about this. But basically, the idea is that occupational therapists, we really strive to allow one to be more functional and independent in their everyday life. Cool. So how does it differ from physiotherapy? So OTs are really focused on function in everyday life. We are experts in understanding how challenges in one's sensory, physical, cognitive, psycho-emotional health can impact one's ability to function in their everyday life. We are also experts in the sensory system and how that can play a role in one's ability to function daily, while we're also very well-versed in fine motor and upper extremity skills. These are, I would say, areas that are more so like OT focused versus like PT, a lot of the time it's more lower extremity and gross motor skills. However, there is some overlap, but that's why it's always important to collaborate with the healthcare team to ensure that overlap does not occur. Cool. Mm -hmm. So being that you specialize in pediatric OT, let's dive into some specifics. How can occupational therapy help my child? Right. So like I said, OT is very broad. So I'll answer this as best as possible in a concise manner. But basically, OT can help your child function with increased independence and overall success across different settings, such as at home, in school, in the community, for example, in the playground. And the way that OTs do this is that we focus on numerous areas, such as motor planning, fine and gross motor skills, visual perceptual, visual integration, sensory integration, the list goes on. I'm not going to go through everything. But basically, OTs are able to take into consideration all these different areas and evaluate if a child requires improvement in a particular area in order to enhance their ability to succeed in their activities of daily living. So you mentioned that OT is really broad. So as an OT, do you get the opportunity to specialize in a specific area and kind of hone your skills in that area? I would say that like sensory integration is definitely like an OT focused kind of OT specialty. In terms of myself, I would say I specialize in like vestibular rehab, and I definitely get into that later on. Awesome. Yeah. Because I know there's a lot of people listening that maybe are going into OT or want to become an occupational therapist. So just giving them the perspective of as an OT, what can I do with my degree? Because it is a very broad, oh, you can do so many things, but to give examples of what it is you can actually do with your degree. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you can work in many settings like For example, you can work like in schools helping kids, or you can even work in like I used to work a long time ago in the insurance business where working with individuals who had been in car accidents and had been injured and working with them to help them increase their independence and just overall functional ability to complete activities of daily living in that manner. And then the um, settings are endless. You can help children in the home. You can work with children with many different diagnoses. I've worked with individuals that have been injured on the job. So workplace injuries, honestly, the opportunities are endless. So I would say OT is a very good (laughs) field to get into. Yeah, awesome. Do you mind going a little bit in depth into your journey as an OT to how you got to smile therapy now? So kind of you graduated and then what was your journey to get to where you are now? Sure. So in terms of my professional experience, I first started working with children in the community, both in schools and in their homes to help them succeed in these environments. 
And along the way, I, I had a few part-time positions. Like I said, I worked with individuals that had been in car accidents, also individuals that had been injured in the workplace, all very much so focused in the neuro rehab realm. So after a few years, kind of having those that part-time work here and there, I then decided to work at a specialized neuro rehab clinic in the United States. And it was here that I was introduced and trained in like pretty innovative therapeutic modalities such as NeuroSuit, Spider Cage, Listening Program, the Astronaut Training Program. I mean, just to name a few. And after working here, I decided you know, time to move back home. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. Toronto where I'm from. So when I moved home, I approached the owner of Smile Therapy for Kids, the amazing Joanne Weltman. And I asked her how she felt about offering OT services at her clinic. And this is about almost two years ago. At that time, there was only like only physiotherapy services available. So I'm very happy that she was agreeable. And I'm sure she would say the same. (laughs) (laughs) And about two years later, the department has grown. There's several OTs. We're now starting to open clinics in other areas, which will also be offering OT, which is super exciting. And I believe you wanted to know also about like courses and all that that I've done over the years. So I've done courses like Handwriting Without Tears, Neuromuscular Electrical Stimulation with Judy Karmick. I've done several vestibular rehab courses, but I also always take the time to research and educate myself with new innovative techniques and also just adaptive devices, anything really out there that will help the kids reach their goals. Awesome. And that's why we love talking with other professionals that are so forward moving with their field is that they're not stagnant. And that's what we love because neuro, as we know, is really fast paced growing field and what we are able to know and understand now. Totally. Well, and I think that's why you're so popular is because you are very knowledgeable and because you're learning things that where so many people aren't. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. So if a child needs to see an occupational therapist, do they need a diagnosis? So no, not necessarily. However, if your child's experiencing challenges participating in everyday skills, they are able to access OT, but in Ontario, that is privately. Like, uh, for example, if you wanted to go to like a government-run agency here in Ontario, they may need need to meet certain criteria in order to get those government-run services. However, Mm -hmm. if one is accessing OT services privately, no, you do not need a diagnosis. However, like if a child came to me without a diagnosis, I would like after the assessment, I would say, you know, whether or not OT would be beneficial for that child, right? Mm-hmm. You really just have to take into consideration like the overall assessment, like you have to really look into it holistically, into the child holistically. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Do you encourage family involvement in the program? Oh, yes. <laughs> this is very key. I mean, I always tell like parents like, I can only do so much when a child comes to see me once a week or twice a week, right? What really is going to make the OT program successful is consistency and practice and, and of course, time. So yes, definitely family involvement is important. I also say if the child has a brother or a sister, getting them involved and doing the activities with the child is great because it involves play, socialization, and all that good stuff. Cool. What makes a successful occupational therapy program? I would say that like making sure that you cover all bases as an OT and taking into consideration child's strengths, weaknesses, the activity or goal you're working towards, as well as the environment they're in. I actually like to use something called the PEO model. So that stands for person environment occupation model. 
for my underlying framework, it really helps to guide my OT programs. So really you're trying to find that PEO fit. So person environment, occupation fit. Basically, you have to determine which activities like in treatment plan is going to fit with all those things. Seems like there's a lot to it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, I love the fact that you know, you're always putting the individual first and it's a very individualized plan. So there's no cookie cutter models or anything like that. Right, yeah. I mean, no child is going to be the same. Every child is different and unique in their own way. So I think like the therapy plan should be reflective of that. Mm-hmm. Now we get to dive into the meat of our podcast. Yeah. All right, so we're talking about sensory processing today. So what is sensory processing? Yeah, so I would say sensory processing is one's ability to receive and respond to information that comes in through the senses. Do you want me to go into all the senses now? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, cool. So we have our visual system. So that's our ability to take in all that visual stimuli, so the things that we see. We have our auditory system, so our ability to take in things that we hear. Tactile, so that's touch. So there's light touch, there's deep touch. Olfactory, so that's our sense of smell. There's also taste. There's also something called enteroception, which refers to one's ability to perceive and understand internal sensations such as hunger, thirst, the need to use the bathroom. But there are two systems that are very important in terms of overall development that sometimes get looked over. And these two systems are the vestibular system and the proprioceptive system. So I will explain both of them. So the vestibular system, this system is actually located in our inner ear. And there are six different pathways that have fluid that moves through the pathways that tells our body where we are in space. So there's a pathway that tells our body what is up, what is down, what the right side is, what the left side is. And sometimes with kids that have delays in their motor skills, sometimes we'll see delays in the vestibular system. And actually our vestibular system is our balance system. So basically, if the fluid is not moving through those canals with these kiddos and their movements, so basically what will happen is that their overall ability to understand where they are in space will be impacted. So their ability to understand where their midline and center of gravity is, it may be difficult for them. So you can imagine if one doesn't understand where their center of gravity is, their ability to like, to stand, to walk, to transition from like four point to sitting or, you know, tall kneeling to stand, all that is is very difficult when you can't understand where your middle is. Then there's also the proprioceptive system. And that system basically is a system that grounds us. It provides us with that overall body awareness and really tells our body where we are in space. I always give families this example of how the two systems work together. Imagine that you were walking and you slipped on a piece of ice. And then the first thing that happens is your vestibular system comes into play. Your hands go up and you move back and forth. And then what happens is your proprioceptive system comes into play. You try to grab hold of something to ground yourself. Now you need both these systems in order to feel regulated and organized and be able to move fluidly and navigate the environment safely. I hope that made sense. (laughs) No, it totally did. That's a great example. So... We've talked about both sensory processing and what sensory systems we have. Now, what are some indications that a child might have a sensory processing disorder? Yeah, so that's an awesome question. Just a little bit tough to answer. Just because 
As I mentioned earlier, there are several different areas of sensory processing. And so there are many different indicators in each area. However, I can give you some examples. So a child, for example, that struggles with tactile processing may demonstrate difficulty touching certain textures or wearing specific types of clothing. Maybe they're sensitive to tags on clothing. Another example, a child that may have challenges with vestibular processing may have difficulty transitioning from one position to another, or maybe they have difficulty remaining and standing when they are in a very like visually busy environment, for example, in the classroom when other children are moving around. Again, there are many different indicators in each area. So I would strongly recommend if a parent is concerned like about sensory processing for their child that they consult an OT because they can complete a sensory processing assessment. For sure. And can there be more than one sensory system affected at a time? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about the difference between sensory seeking behaviors and sensory avoidance. What's the difference between the two? Yeah, good question. So there are two ways basically that children with sensory processing issues respond to sensory input. So when a child underreacts to sensory input, they may seek out more input and these kids would be the sensory seekers. So for example, if you see a child rocking backwards and forwards, those are the kids that are seeking out that vestibular input, that movement. And so when kids overreact, they become overwhelmed and may avoid sensory input. And this would be called sensory avoidance. So for example, you know, when you see some kids, maybe they have their hands over their ears. This is a sensory avoidant behavior because they're trying to block out that auditory input. Mm -hmm. And I think we see this fairly commonly with the autism spectrum disorder. Just as an example for people who are listening, you might see the dimming techniques. So whether they're constantly rubbing their hands or that classic kind of rocking back and forth motion, but that's a disorder in which we see these sensory seeking or avoidance techniques very overtly. Right, exactly. All right. And then we're going more into behaviors. So with sensory processing disorders, we know there's lots of behaviors that come with it. We're going to talk a little bit about meltdowns and tantrums. Right. Can you explain the difference between the two? Yeah, I would say that a tantrum, like typically that begins in toddlers. And they're usually caused when like a child wants something they can't have or when a child tries to do something dangerous. It's basically a tactic to try and see if this behavior, a tantrum, will work to get what he or she wants, while a meltdown looks a lot like a tantrum on the outside, but internally, it's actually, it's not a choice. It's the result of a child becoming so emotionally overwhelmed that they just simply, they just can't hold it all together. And basically, a meltdown can be the result of many things, like, but for example, sensory overload, retained reflexes, physical or emotional fatigue, I mean, the list goes on. But that's basically the difference I see between the two. Mm-hmm, for sure. So the tantrum's kind of more trying to manipulate their situation, whereas the meltdown's like reacting more or less. Per- yeah, that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips or tricks on how to handle or avoid meltdowns as an OT, just from your experience? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that exploring a child's sensory processing skills and if necessary, devising a program targeted towards enhancing the child's sensory processing skills you know, in an effort to regulate and organize a child's sensory system will definitely assist with what we call emotional regulation and in turn prevent those meltdowns. Sensory integration and emotional regulation go hand in hand. So 
For example, if a child does not feel regulated or organized from a sensory perspective, then their ability to regulate their emotions will be impacted. So we really want to get that sensory system regulated and organized. So you mentioned emotional regulation. Can you touch a little bit more on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, you know, some children go from zero to 100 really quick. <laughs> and it's hard for them to figure out how can I make myself feel better when I feel really like either, you know, maybe they're feeling angry or they're feeling anxious or they're feeling frightened, right? And they don't know how to process these emotions and bring themselves back down, right? So I, for example, teach kids maybe deep breathing or go on a walk, have a movement break or give them some uh, calming grounding input. Maybe it's via like spio suit or um, Mm -hmm. something uh, heavy work that giving an proprioceptive input. There's definitely a lot of emotional regulation programs. The zones of regulation is a really popular one and a good one to teach kids how to regulate their emotions and how to understand what they're feeling and then how to get themselves feeling, we call it the green zone, so the feeling good zone and coming down from the red zone, so the zone where they're feeling like either angry or frightened or whatnot. I hope that kind of made sense. Yeah, no, it totally does. Because I know we probably have parents listening and thinking, well, my child's not verbal, or they don't seem to have as much comprehension. So how can this work for my child? And I love how you talked about deep proprioceptive input and the spio suit and all those alternative to just talking to your child and trying to explain to them what emotions are in that side of things. Definitely. And I mean, you know, for those kids that are nonverbal and may not have the cognitive ability to understand, like, oh, I have to take deep breaths if I'm feeling like this mm-hmm. or whatnot. This is mm-hmm. and proprioceptive input is a great strategy for sure. Mm-hmm. So now for the parents out there who have children with sensory processing disorders or issues, what should they be looking for in an OT? So what questions should the parents ask when they're looking to see an OT for their child? Right. So I would just urge parents to find an OT that is well-versed in sensory integration and to find out, like, you know, what experience OT has in that area, just because this is definitely like a specialty in the field. I would urge them to find an OT that they feel can carry over her sensory plans across all environments. So, you know, home, school, community, finding an OT that has experience in more than one setting would probably be beneficial, especially in terms of sensory integration therapy. And also just like an OT that they feel can engage their child and motivate their child, be creative. I think that goes a long way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely does. Yes. I know one thing we say within our sessions is it's play with purpose, right? So it's it's not therapy, it's play, right? So they learn through play and movement. Oh, 100%. And I think like playful experience is a positive experience. And that's what I strive for, for sure. Yeah, and I don't know about um, your clinic setting, but like we made the environment itself fun. So it's less clinical. It's more just like, you know, pictures and fun stuff on the walls and that kind of stuff. So it's not like coming to another medical appointment. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, we got it all. (laughs) We definitely try to make it very much so like play based. Like you'll see us like my assistants and I and my team, like we'll just be dressed up in like superhero capes and masks and we have theme days like it's very much so fun environment I think that's important I think so too yeah Mm -hmm. so kind of going back to your clinic area your setup what are some of your favorite OT pieces of equipment or tools sure so I guess some favorites definitely love using suspended equipment so like platform swing for example 
you know, during my sensory integration and vestibular work. I love the hyper vibe and I love the spider cage and neuromuscular electrical stimulation, all those things to help with overall muscle strengthening as well as overall balance. I love using the astronaut board for vestibular rehab as well. There's something new that I've been trying out. I really like is I recently posted about this on my Instagram page is the biofeedback, the Lucio L-U-S-I-O to work on just overall range of motion in the upper extremity as well as muscle strengthening as and building those motor plans as well. It's a pretty cool new device that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen a post or two from it and yeah, it looks very cool. Yeah, totally. And I mean, the kids are so motivated by because there's like all these games on there, like the choices are endless. So I find it helps keep the kids motivated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for those who don't know, the Hypervibe is a specialized vibration plate. Are there any pieces of equipment that you consider to be essential as a pediatric OT? Well, I mean, the ones I mentioned just a second mm-hmm. ago, I use most of the time, but I wouldn't say they're essential because I've been in an OT over the last decade. I've had to be very creative in the resources that I've had. So basically what I'm trying to say is that whatever environment you're in, you can make it work. You just have to basically get your creativity going, put your thinking caps on because you're not necessarily going to have access to these. I'm very lucky to have access to all these Mm -hmm. things, but it's not everyone may not have that. So just making things work. Like I know when we were in lockdown, the team and I, smile therapy team and I, we would make posts and uh, like say like, this is how you can make, for example, like arm gators, like arm helpers out of like a water bottle and some like things around the home or, you know, things like that. I think it's important to just use what you have. But in terms of some favorite like toys and adaptive equipment here, I like squigs are awesome. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. those things. It's like the suction toys that stick to like a wall or the mirror. I love that. iPad applications, if you have an iPad or any our tablet or whatnot. Dexteria Junior, Shelby's Quest, I love those ones, those apps for fine motor skills. And I know I touched on like arm helpers and how you can make them on your own, but I do like using something called bamboo braces for arm helpers for like arm strengthening exercises and weight bearing through the arms, those exercises. As well, mm-hmm. I did mention earlier something called the Spio suit. I do also love using that because it helps to provide that proprioceptive common grounding input and in turn provides increased body awareness and then in turn increased balance and a more regulated organized sensory system as well. Also, we mentioned it could have the benefit of enhanced emotional regulation. So I would say all of these things are uh, definitely in my OT toolbox that I like to use. Awesome. The thing I love about you as an OT is that you have the creativity and an ability to adapt regardless of what equipment you have. And I think that just makes the mark of a really good therapist. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Thank you so much. I agree. Because a lot of people can't. A lot of people do rely on the equipment and the technology. And they're not able to be creative to use just their hands. And so that's what makes you such a good IT. And that's why you're popular. Oh, you guys are too sweet. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So I know a lot of the toys you talked about kind of touch on the vestibular system. Do you have any favorite toys for like vision or hearing as an OT? Well, we have made like a vision box at the clinic. Like we just took ideas off Pinterest and like basically Mm -hmm. we've made a vision box out of that. You know, a lot of the kids that we see, they do have challenges with their visual system, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it be the cortical visual impairment or whatever it may be. 
let's say I wanted them to look at like a picture, like putting that a picture on the visual box so that it illuminates it more, it lights it up. And then I make the room darker so that contrast. Also like using toys, the yellow and red toys, I find are more effective with those kids because those are the colors that children first recognize. And then what else did you say? The auditory. Auditory. I like using the listening program because some of the kids I see are sensitive to auditory Mm -hmm. input. And this is a great resource to help with auditory desensitization. Some kiddos I have like noise blocking headphones that I use. That's about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. That's all great kind of tips and tricks. I love it. So now for future occupational therapists, so those that are in the field or getting close to graduating, what do you feel are the most important qualities of being a good occupational therapist? Mm-hmm. I would say like being creative, definitely. Passionate and empathetic, they are all really important qualities for OTs. I find that the more fun and playful you make the therapeutic activities, which is kind of what we spoke about before, the more positive experience the, the children and caregivers will have, which is definitely very important and then just always striving to find and discover new ways of using the resources around you just I guess that's I guess the word to describe that as creative (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then do you have any advice for future occupational therapists I guess I would say never lose sight of your dreams don't be afraid to be different in terms of your therapeutic technique and just always reach for the stars That's great advice. Yeah. Thank you. So where do you see yourself in five years? Like, what are your career goals? Well, I'd like to continue growing the OT department at Smile Therapy for Kids. But I've also really enjoyed working with families worldwide virtually. It's truly Mm -hmm. just a great feeling helping as many children as possible around the world. Mm -hmm. So I want to continue to do that. And I would also like to eventually do more teaching and training of OTs while continuing to educate myself and different therapeutic techniques that may help the kids. I mean, I just love to learn and never want to stop doing that. So five years down the road and even further ahead, I will definitely continue to learn. That's awesome. All right. Is there anything else, Kelly, you'd like to add to the topic of sensory processing that we haven't touched on or that you feel like we've missed? I mean, just want to say like every child is unique again in their sensory system. So one will not you know, look the same as another child. So I know sometimes it's hard, but not to compare one child to the other, because Mm -hmm. again, every kid is unique and they will be in terms of their progression and their ability to self-regulate and feeling more organized and regulated in their sensory system. Every child has their own path. So every child has their own timeline. So just for parents and therapists to remember that I think is important. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank you guys for all the awesome work that you do. I think it's amazing everything that you guys do at your center. I'm very impressed by you guys. Thank you. We're just like you guys, right? Trying to help as many people as we can and forging a new path because a lot of this stuff isn't recognized here in Canada and isn't really done. And so, you know, you guys paved the way and in Ontario and we're trying to do the same thing here in Alberta. But there's so many people that need help and the traditional systems don't work and they're not helping as much as they can be. So it's really important for centers like yours and ours to think outside the box, to research and find those technologies and therapies out there that are beneficial and that do work and then bring them back home. Yeah, we all feel the same way as you. 
I'm glad that we found each other and that we can collaborate and touch yeah. base and learn from each other and just help as many kids as possible. Yeah, we agree. So thank you, Callie, for all your valuable information and for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. We can't wait to see how you grow and how many people you help. And obviously, we're going to stay in touch with you because we just love all the things that you offer. And we hope to maybe have you on again one day. Yeah, I would love to. And thanks so much for having me. And I really enjoyed our conversation. We will definitely be in touch. Awesome. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. As always, we would greatly appreciate if you could subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as this helps us increase our reach. And stay tuned for another episode coming at you in two weeks.